As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Rams fans, I had no intention of barging into Jordan's fantastic podcast, but I just had to share with you, and I mean that collectively, we need to share in the experience of the Rams running the ball, was it 24 times in the second half? I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was sitting at home staring at my television in awe of them running the ball. And it worked. Everything that we say, for how many years has it been, my friends? I don't even know how long we've been talking about this. Uh, but uh, it really was something to behold. The Rams did a great job of running the ball. I give Sean McVay full credit for making that halftime adjustment. I will say, I'm not giving Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilba credit, as they seem to want to take during the broadcast. I'm sure they're great guys. But really, the credit belongs with us, my friends for continuing to beat this drum for year upon year upon year. Great game. Good win for the Rams. The only thing I would say to counter Sean McVay a little bit, he seems to like to uh, bring out the idea that the reason they don't run the ball a lot is because they don't have enough plays. A little bit of a chicken and egg argument. I would make the argument that the way you get more plays is to run the ball, establish some rhythm on offense, some balance on offense, extend some drives, run the ball. So as you can see, I haven't quite let it go, but I guess we should take our victories as they come. And the Rams did a great job of running the ball on Sunday against the Cardinals. We'll see what this week brings. I'll throw it back to Jordan to do an outstanding job with this podcast as always. And I hope everybody is doing well. Be the best and you got to pay a little price. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me this week, fabulous guest co-host, Mike DeFabo, Pittsburgh Steelers beat writer extraordinaire for The Athletic. Mike, how we doing? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for handling the awkward pause well. Really excited that, uh, you know, everyone handles it a little bit differently. You know, our, our fans, our fans always love it, but some people squirm a little bit. You just were very stoic through the entire thing. I appreciated that. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with you coaching me up beforehand. So I was very well prepared <laughs> and I had in my head exactly what I was going to say, exactly what I was going to do. So I appreciate the heads up. 
So I'm excited to see Mike uh, this weekend at SoFi Stadium. This is going to be a really fun game. Um, Steelers fans are sure to travel really well. We're going to get into the game and all the things happening around the Pittsburgh Steelers at this time. I thought it'd be really fun for Rams fans to get a look behind the uh, the, t- the terrible towel for a terrible pun, but a look behind the towel of, of uh, what's actually going on here um, in Pittsburgh right now and what the vibes are. But we do have some Rams news to get to. And then Mike's going to run through some, some Steelers news. Um, so Rams fans, listeners, um, we are recording this on Tuesday, um, early afternoon, Eastern morning Pacific. So the, the developing story right now is that starting cornerback Darion Kendrick was arrested Monday night on a felony charge. Um, the LA times reported that it was on suspicion of illegal gun possession, citing a law enforcement source, you know, Sean McVay addressed this Monday and said that the team is still gathering info. He declined to comment on several different questions, um, including how they're gathering the information and who they're talking to, what type of information needs to be um, gathered about this situation. The NFL is involved. This is going to be an ongoing situation over the next couple of weeks, perhaps months. The legal process is going to also play out um, in this situation, whether or not that results in any kind of league involvement when it comes to playing time. Um, the Rams and the league are both still, I think, determining how they're going to handle all of it. Sean, McCl- Sean McVay declined to share how he's going to handle it. This is the first time he's dealt with a situation like this in his tenure as a, as a Rams head coach. So um, definitely going to be uh, interested to see how they, as an organization, um, ha- handle all of this moving forward and kind of what they ascertain from the situation overall. The organization had no further comment, um, no surprise there. And this is just a process that um, I'm not going to speculate on that uh, I think we overall are not going to speculate on until we have some cold, hard facts and, and more data on the situation. Um, so that's an ongoing um, ongoing process. And then um, if Darion can't play Sunday, um, you're looking at Trey Tomlinson perhaps coming in, getting some time. You know, he spelled... Darion at the very end of um, last Sunday's game, uh, the win over the Cardinals. And so that's that, you know, he's a rookie and um, the Rams really like what they've seen for him so far. But in terms of on field specifically, he's definitely the option. Um, Kobe Durant can also play on the outside as necessary. And then the other big news for the Rams, Kyron Williams has an ankle injury. Uh, Short and long term status still unknown. Ronnie Rivers has a knee injury. Uh, short-term status, I think there's a little bit of a, a tell on that. Um, I think that's going to be a week by week, whereas Kyron Williams um, might be a little bit of a shorter-term situation. Um, behind those two currently on the roster are Zach Evans, who's been mostly running scout team, and then Royce Freeman, who's a veteran, but um, doesn't have a ton of experience in this particular system. Some of the chatter I've heard over the last couple of weeks is that Zach Evans has been doing some really interesting and really solid things on scout team. However, he is not getting reps. That means he's not getting reps in the actual offense. So we'll kind of see how that carry share and those splits work out, um, especially coming off of a massive rushing game, a massive rushing second half by the Rams this last week. Um, Obviously, fans are disappointed to hear this. I will say with Kyron Williams, there's some interesting stuff out there right now. um, But Kyron was not in a boot in the locker room post game. And he was he held his interview. Usually injured players don't um, did the interview. I, I'm saying he he has an injury, but in terms of the severity, he was in great spirits post-game. He did not seem despondent or like a player who had just learned that he had some sort of like season-altering situation happen to him. 
Um, so I think that, again, we'll have more clarity on the timeline on Wednesday from Sean McVay, but um, there's some cautious optimism, I think, that's allowed to be had over the Kyron Williams injury specifically. But Mike, what is going on in terms of personnel, players in Steelers land right now? Well, the Steelers are coming off their bye week, and thankfully players did stay out of trouble, so we don't have to dive into the legal side of things. Um, But the big news in Pittsburgh is they expect to get a number of guys back, and that's highlighted by Deontay Johnson, the former Pro Bowl wide receiver, and then Pat Fryermuth, the tight end who's ascending into a Pro Bowl status. So this is an offense that's been really, really hurting, and we can go into some of that later, but it's gotten to the point that they're chanting Fire Canada after Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, at Penguins games. So that's how bad things have gotten for the offense right now. So uh, the fact that they're adding two pieces to the offense is significant, but the types of pieces that they're adding is even more so because um, they were missing somebody to work the underneath routes. You know, they have George Pickens, who's the big deep play threat. I'm sure even casual fans have seen some of his, you know, viral moments that, that break the internet. But what they've been missing is somebody to, to work the underneath route. So those guys will definitely help. The other significant piece and and things that Steeler fans are talking about is they're getting their left tackle, Dan Moore Jr., back, they think, from an MCL sprain. And that's actually controversial here in Pittsburgh because the first-round pick was Broderick Jones, and the injury presented him an opportunity to start for the first time. Now with Dan Moore back, maybe their first-round pick, Broderick Jones, might get bumped to the bench. So there's definitely – that's a big talking point here in Pittsburgh on Sports Talk Radio. You know, why are you benching the rookie, that kind of thing. So – you know, the, the biggest additions for the Steelers, the most newsworthy items are some of the pieces they'll get back. I wanted to start with you with that with that O-line because the Rams uh, traded for Kevin Dotson in, in the summer. And so far, he's been grading out really well for them, particularly in the run game. He's playing in place of the injured uh, Joe Noteboom over at right guard. Joe Noteboom, um, the player the Rams signed to a $40 million contract to play left tackle. Um, which has been a, a point of consternation, I think, uh, not just for Joe, who wants to be out there, but also among the fan base as well. But Kevin Dotson, first of all, has been a delight in the locker room. And then second of all... A great interview, he, isn't he? Yeah, he's great. And then second of all, um, he's really graded out impressively um, in the run game. The Rams are obviously now pretty much shifted completely to a gap-dominant run run team. And so um, he's really thriving and really succeeding in, in that type of ethos. But what I knew about this move and what I kind of heard, especially when collaborating on some of the news items that we did, was there was some drama with the offensive line on the Steelers side, right? Because um, there was some mixing and moving of of personnel. What what was that all about? Yeah, so um, you have to go back to this offseason. And when they switched to Omar Khan as the general manager, he is known more as the salary cap wizard. And he recognized that his blind spot was in player evaluation. So he brought in his longtime friend, Andy Weidel, who worked uh, as basically the right-hand man of Howie Roseman with the Eagles. And so when he was brought in, the thinking was that they were going to build the Steelers in a very similar mold in terms of being tough and physical in the trenches and kind of building through the lines and then branching out from there. And so they did make a very concerted effort to upgrade the offensive lines. Not only did they draft Broderick Jones in the first round, the left tackle out of Georgia, um, but also they brought in Isaac Sayamalu, who was part of that really dominant Eagles offensive line. He stepped right in and started at left guard. So that's what created the ripple effect that basically made Kevin Dotson expendable. It wasn't that they disliked Dotson. 
even though they probably wanted to upgrade a little bit. But it was more so they were trying to add across the board and make the offensive line better. And they felt that they did that to a point that they felt more comfortable with the backups they had than Dotson. Um, but the one thing that's interesting here is even though on paper the offensive line looks like it's upgraded, it really hasn't been that way in practice. You know, Samalo, I think, has been a bit underwhelming. Uh, he's not necessarily this mauling offensive guard that they imagined. But you just look at some of the stats, like the, the Steelers can't run the football right now. They're 29th in pure rushing yardage, uh, 27th in yards per carry. They're also dead last in yards before contact. And um, more than 30% of their runs go for zero or no gain. So what you'll find with the Steelers offense is very often there'll be a play that puts them behind the chains and they can't overcome that and they go three and out. Very often it's a run play in a very obvious running situation where they kind of telegraph it. And then similarly in, in pass protection, the Steelers have also struggled. Uh, they're, they're, Kenny Pickett's being pressured on about 43% of his dropbacks, which is fourth worst in the NFL. So I think what they did was a start and gives you a hint of the way that this, this new front office wants to take things, but they're not quite there. And it's going to take another offseason, I think, for them to really shore up the offensive line. It's so interesting because meanwhile, on the Rams side, on the offensive line, again, including Kevin, they've reworked their offensive line. And the point in part was to bulk up the interior in particular because they were going to shift to being a gap scheme dominant team. And certainly they, I mean, they ran duo like, you know, 17 times almost consecutively last, last week. And they, they're shifting to, um, that because they wanted to be more physical. They wanted to, they had, they had gained a reputation and this isn't always a bad thing, but it became a dependency for them where they were a little bit of a finesse team where if the outside zone layers weren't unfolding in an exact specific way, which is a little bit of a finesse run game, um, then they were just going to throw, try to throw the ball the hell downfield. And, and in 2022 combined with the embattlement of how many injuries they had on that offensive line and, and, um, injuries to running backs, et cetera, they were so one dimensional and they were also, telegraphing their pass plays because of how obvious it was going to be that they were going to pass the ball as much as they possibly could. And also, um, you know, it, it just, they were going three and out at, you know, nearly a 40% rate, which was the worst of the Sean McVay era. It's not the case this year. Um, they're among the top teams in in basically refreshing their sets of downs, um, had some issues in sustaining drives and in part, the numbers are a little uh, misleading with them because they're a little bit of a feast or famine team. So Matthew Stafford is averaging like nine air yards per attempt right now, which means he's either throwing it the hell downfield or it's a screen or a run or some sort of short motion or one of those daggers or like a little dig crosser that they love to run. And um, they're sort of still working out what that balance is going to look like. And, and on their pass pro, they've given up numbers wise, they've given up among the most pressures specifically, um, in the league. And especially with the Steelers defense, which is always a challenge, even if, even in a down year, that's a concern. However, they're, they're running more like five and seven step drops. So the pressure is going to register on the little, on the stat sheet. It's does the quarter is the quarterback still getting the concept off, which in a lot of cases he is. Um, so it's, they're a very interesting team. They don't really have a middle ground yet. I think that, um, going against a team, two teams that are still sort of figuring out what this season's identity is going to be the Cardinals, obviously in a huge rebuild situation, seemingly 
And then the Steelers, from what it sounds like, they're figuring out, like, are they going to stay here? Are they going to move to something else? Is that kind of accurate? Um, this yeah, they're, is a, they're, yeah. They're, they're in such an interesting place because if you look at just the record, right, they're three and two. And going into the bye week, they were in first place in the AFC North. And that has mm-hmm. since changed the Ravens leapfrog them at four and two. But this did not look like a team that was the best in the division. Um, you know, if, if you go back and look at the games, again, the offense is completely inept. It's it's painful to watch. It truly is. And then the defense, um, they've been very inconsistent at stopping the run. And they've been really bad at stopping an, an opponent's best receiver. You know, a big mm-hmm. talk this year or this week was about how they would slow down Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua because like you could literally go back each and every week and the number one receiver in, in the opposing team uh, against the Steelers has produced his best week when he played the Steelers. So that's a challenge. But the reason why they've been able to win games has been they've been generating a tremendous amount of splash. Mm-hmm. And that really goes to the edge rushers. It's TJ Watt. Now it's Alex Highsmith who just signed a new contract extension this offseason. And he's showing that he's worth every penny there because the two of those guys, they're creating sacks, they're creating tackles for loss, forced fumbles. Um, and it was in the Cleveland game that really kind of sums it up where TJ Watt set the record for career sacks for the Steelers. And arguably Alex Highsmith had a better game. He had the, the forced fumble that then TJ Watt picked up and scored the touchdown to win. That's been their formula all season is despite the lack of offense, despite the inconsistency stopping the ball, the run, despite the problems that they've had against top wide receivers, they've been producing these splash plays that have been the difference makers. That's so interesting to me because it seems like this would be, if I'm looking at it from the Rams perspective, the Rams, they they have been inconsistent in terms of the the overall, like again, pressure protection. They've they've held up again well for the concepts that they're trying to run. But I don't necessarily know when you've got two dominant rushers. I don't necessarily know that those really deep downfield things that they like to do are going to, you're going to have to establish a middle ground <laughs> if you're the Rams, especially missing your, both of your backs. You know, I would assume that Kyron will not be playing this weekend. Um, he hasn't officially been ruled out yet, but that is sort of the direction that this seems to be leaning. And, and Ronnie was their number two. And then, so now you've got Zach Evans and, and Royce Freeman, you've got to find some middle ground with what you're doing also in your in your pass game. They did a good job of that with Puka Nakua, um, who was basically like the zone beating champion of the first five weeks of the season. But again, on those like intermediate crossers was like the bread and butter. Well, they sort of have now, it seems like, again, they've kind of this is how they always are when Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford are on the field together. They've now reinstalled like the the deeper concepts to Cooper and some of those those overs that they that he loves to run. And in that regard, um, they you could potentially get some really significant numbers for these guys. But with the two rushers being as productive, and again, the splash plays are, are what makes the difference. The Rams has have seemed to, if their turnovers on the offensive side come in bunches. We've seen this. This is this is as well as he's playing. He's playing like a, a top, at least a top 10 quarterback, if not like a top six quarterback, Matthew Stafford. When he turns the ball over, they come in bunches. And so um, this is one of those games where if the Rams aren't, again, seeking that middle ground, offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur was talking about, okay, just because the quarterback can make every throw doesn't mean he always should have to, especially if pressure like that is coming with guys who can take the ball away and have been taking the ball away. Um, I'm really curious and interested to see how this offense 
as it has shape-shifted every single week at some point or another. Um, I'm curious to see how it, it continues to evolve. But that does bring me to a delicate question. Uh, speaking of evolving offense, or maybe in the case of what you're seeing and sort of the reputation around Pittsburgh right now, um, maybe a lack of, of offensive evolution, revolution, whatever you want to call it. It's a fascinating dynamic to me, Mike, because there are, it is such a passionate and knowledgeable fan base in Pittsburgh that is, it's basically like, Hey, we know what we're looking at. You know, you can't, you can't fool us at the podium, right? We know what we're watching. And so I'm kind of, First of all, let's let's set the scene for Rams fans because this is a team that you know Rams the Rams don't see a whole lot. So I, I want to set the scene. What is what is going on in Pittsburgh? I'm going to do the 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 two pointing the two fingers pointing up. Like what is happening in Pittsburgh? <laughs> yes, you look exactly like the meme right now. I wish people could see you. <laughs> so you know, I, historically the Steelers have been a defensive minded team that's mm-hmm. been their identity from the seventies when they were winning super bowls and becoming a dynasty. Um, and so the whole thinking was with offensive coordinator, Matt Canada was if the Steelers offense could do just enough to support that. So the bar is already pretty low. And so Matt Canada came in uh, three years ago. It was Ben Roethlisberger's last year. And the first year that he was working with Ben, the Steelers produced a touchdown fewer than they had the previous year. And at that point, everyone was thinking, well, maybe Ben's just washed at this point, and the offensive line isn't too good. And Matt Canada came from the college ranks, liked a lot of motion in his offense, movement, and a lot of the thinking was, well, maybe Ben isn't buying into all of this, and it's going to take a new quarterback to refresh things and give Matt Canada the chance to really unfurl his whole playbook. So last year, then, the excuse was, well, it's Kenny Pickett's first year. So, you know, he's a young quarterback. He's still trying to pick things up. And the offense significantly declined last year in his first year. Well, now this year was supposed to be the year that everything kind of came together. Kenny had a whole offseason to understand the playbook, to work with his wide receivers. They went down to Florida. They had this great bonding experience and all that. And the offense has somehow gotten even worse than it was last year. So they're producing like 12.6, I think, points per game on offense, scoring about one touchdown per game offensively. And it's just not getting the job done right now. And as I mentioned, it's reached the point that it's crossed over sports. There have been numerous fire Canada chants for people calling for the offensive coordinator at the Steelers games. And now even at the Penguins games, the same thing is happening. And they, they're essentially in a situation here with him where the Steelers don't like to fire coaches. They don't like to fire coordinators. Everyone knows that Matt Kinn is in his last year as the coach. So he's essentially a lame duck coordinator at this point where there's no way you would give this guy an extension. But given the Steelers track record and how historically loyal they are to coordinators, there's also no way that they're going to fire him. So they're kind of like stuck with with this for the rest of the season. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What is that like, though? Because that that does run a lot of what's in the news right now across the league is, you know, impatient owners and sometimes who pull the trigger maybe too quickly, other times waiting too long. It's hard sometimes to find where that happy medium is. It seems like this is a case where it's waiting a little bit too long, or at least that's what it seems like from from the outside looking in. What is that like in the city, in the fan base? What is that like in the locker room? I mean, it, that is such a fascinating dynamic to me. Well, for a couple of years, it's been a problem in the locker room. And Chase Claypool, who's been a lightning rod, um, you know, I believe a big reason why he was was what was traded initially to the Bears is because he was probably the most outspoken critic against Matt Canada. And there was significant discord in the locker room. And even this season, Najee Harris got up and like kind of completely unprompted was like, Hey guys, it's not Matt Canada. It's the players. The players are the ones that need to take responsibility. So I I think, I think that there is frustration. I think that there's receivers that feel like they're not doing, you know, being utilized the way they'd like to, Um, you know, I don't think there's, there's not a single player offensively that I would say is even performing to expectations at this point. Um, Like every single offensive player has to be disappointed by, their output and um they've reached the point where they kind of have to like i think what Najee was doing was saying look we can't change the coordinator we need to stop complaining we need to start focusing on what we can and Mm -hmm. then in terms of the fan base i mean this is a very very loyal and passionate fan base and um football probably takes up 90 percent of the fandom in western pennsylvania and then maybe Penguins is 9% and the Pirates are 1%. That's just the way things are here. People will wear their Steelers jerseys unironically to Penguins games and think nothing of it. That's like culturally normal in Western Pennsylvania. Um, like my 98 or my 88 year old Italian grandmother, um, the first time she met my fiance, her, the first thing out of her mouth was, What's up with the run defense? It looks like Swiss cheese out there. <laughs> Like that's the way that people are in Western Pennsylvania is they live and breathe football and they're used to having a team that's not only a playoff team, but a legitimate, you know, Super Bowl contender. And when that doesn't happen, they're disappointed. And I think that maybe the best way to sum it up is after Matt Canada was booed one of these times, Mike Tomlin was asked about it. And he said, well, we love the, the passion of our fan base. And he said, it's our job to entertain them and to please them. And we want them to be fat and sassy and spoiled. And so <laughs> that's at least one person's definition of the Steelers fan base right now. But I think too, it's, it's interesting because we, and we talked about this over Slack that it's not like Matt Canada was known for being an archaic thinker previous to this. I mean, some of the motions and stuff he was doing at the collegiate level coaches at the NFL level have used. Um, Steven Ruiz at the ringer, it was tongue in cheek, but he uh, superimposed some of his college stuff over some of what other offenses are doing, you know, right now. So I I guess I wonder, and I know you're, you're digging into this too, so I don't want you to give too much away for what you're working on, but motions work, 
right? Misdirection works. But why is it, why is it not the type of misdirection emotion and, and things? Is it just a little bit too antiquated at this point? Yeah. So I think that some of it goes back to Matt Canada was the offensive coordinator way back at Pitt when he started mm-hmm. introducing some of these concepts. And, he, and like you mentioned, these were inspiring to guys like Sean McVay who saw it and thought, wow, this is a really great idea. We should start doing some of this. But I think what happened is defenses evolved and Matt Canada did not. And mm-hmm. some of these other coaches took what Matt Canada did as a springboard and Matt Canada has left it at the rudimentary level. And, and one of the issues and one of the things you'll see, like, they almost telegraph their plays on the motion. So they'll line up under center. They'll send one of the guys in jet motion. Um, and you could tell based on his body language, he's not getting the ball. He's a decoy. And then they almost always run the ball out of that. So these motions, instead of creating misdirection and creating confusion among the defense, they're almost providing tells for the defense and signaling what play is going to come. Um, you know, and, and then I think a big thing, like if you, I went back and was watching how, 49ers use motion against the Steelers versus how the Steelers use motion. The 49ers use motion in so many unique and creative ways to get you to signal what type of coverage you're in, to put guys in um, unfavorable situations or in conflict. And like there was a situation where Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers' best defensive player, is uh, one-on-one with Christian McCaffrey, the best offensive player, based on design. And you've completely taken Minka out of the play based on the way that you use motion and mm-hmm. the way that you used him. That doesn't happen in the Steelers offense. And what you'll see is, I guess to sum it up, it seems like they're just using motion to use motion as opposed to using it for some bigger reason. And, and I think that that's, I mean, that's part of it. I think also some of the passing concepts have been c- criticized of being kind of college level or high school level. Um, they're not very complicated, not very sophisticated in the way that they do things. And, and I think that that's all kind of part of the problem when it comes to Steelers offense. Yeah. And just to extrapolate that more. So I've talked to, I talk about this a lot on this show and, and sometimes ramble on ad nauseum to much of the annoyance <laughs> of, of myself who hates hearing the sound of my own voice. But, um, so motions used to, used to be used to, discern and break tendencies of defense that used to be the purpose of what they were. And at times they they started evolving into getting certain playmakers in space or forcing a linebacker into conflict, um, to move horizontally when the pre-snap looked like it was going to be a vertical concept to make one player or, or two shift horizontally, um, at the snap or just before the snap. Um, and to sort of um, create the different um, spatial layers. And, and and you could also, if you were going to run it pre, a pre-snap motion, it would tell the quarterback, it would, it would um, sort of um, demonstrate or display man's own indicators. It could do all these types of things that provide an information to the quarterback. Now, motions are used as disguises for um, different receiving formations. Now, motions are used to get speed players into space even before the ball is snapped so that they aren't pressed at the line of scrimmage. They have a free release naturally because of the motion. Now motions are used to um, take little, little sections and voids of the field and put defenders into conflict, not just one defender before the snap, but 
multiple defenders as the concept unfolds because of the way the motion, the route is run out of the motion. Now motion in, in the Rams case, they're using it to disguise their run plays. They're lining up their tight end, Tyler Higby, on the backside of a formation using their motion rules to allow him to go on the move at the snap. And he ends up on the front side of the formation in a, in a duo play or a power run. And so now you can use you, p- people are using it in all kinds of different ways, not just as indicators or information gathering for the quarterback. And then also jet, you know, sweeps and stuff like that were used to be leverage and advantage plays, but those plays also came up in the NFL in the NFL at the same time as the outside zone and the wide zone. So teams started playing defenses differently to where you're not just able to contain the wide zone with the way that you're playing your fronts and the way that linebackers, outside linebackers are so much faster and more athletic and the way that you can mix your fronts and, and play everybody basically wider along the line of scrimmage. That also cuts off the jet sweeps. So your jet sweep isn't really going to work <laughs> all the time. And so you got to figure out a different thing to do on the jet sweep. And an example I use with the way that the Rams are week over week basically using the opponent's rules against them on these motions is you you have rule. Defenses have rules for motions. They have ways that you pass off the concept. Um, they have things that you are not supposed to do in reaction to certain motions um, so that you're not giving away the tell. All of these things now. Well, the Rams are running this cheat motion, which basically is like the jogging start motion, the CFL concept that Miami has made very famous that other teams are, are using. Um, and they run it with Tutu Atwell. And he gets a jogging start along the line of scrimmage. Well, the ball, he's in space and he's carrying the top defenders with him. But now they're running the ball behind it on an outside run. You know, it's all these different types of things that you you continue to evolve. And it's like when your motions are basically um, displaying your tendencies to the defense instead of the opposite and then some, then you got a problem. And, and that sort of sounds to me like what you're saying here with what you're seeing from this offense, it just hasn't taken that those next adjustments, those next evolutions, iterations of what it originally was. Yeah, absolutely. And the the play that makes Steelers fans most upset is the mm-hmm. Jets because mm. it's a play that they've run frequently without much success. And it's just very frustrating for Steelers fans because you have a big 225 pound back in Najee Harris, and instead you're handing it to Gunnar Olszewski, who's barely on the team and many people think should be cut on a jet sweep, that kind of thing. So um, it's it's something that, like, you maybe should go give a seminar on how the Steelers can, <laughs> can better incorporate motion into their offense. You know, and it, this is something that goes back. You know, I know that when Matt Canada was at LSU, um, he got played calling taken away from him within his first season because guys were running into each other pre-snap because they couldn't understand the motions and the shifts. And at a recent Steelers practice, um, they messed up the timing and they hiked the ball too soon and the ball nailed Connor Hayward, who was running in motion. Like Those are the kinds of miscues that are going on with the Steelers where they're not using things effectively. And it's just the offense is, looks uncoordinated right now as a result. Mm. It's it's really a fascinating dynamic, especially when you put it in tandem with how just year annually outstanding Mike Tomlin has been as a coach and stable. And then also that organization has been sort of a stabilizing force in the league for so long. And the fan base is so passionate. It is it is um, you feel like it's things are 
boiling over there at, at this point, just from, again, from the outside looking in and, and hearing your great insight. The last thing before I let you go, I don't, I haven't seen four consistent quarters played from this Rams team yet. <laughs> um, they've shown some really great flashes, a coach like Mike Tomlin, especially, um, you know, what, what the Steelers have always been able to do on the defensive side. Um, that's dangerous in my opinion. So the Rams absolutely, just because, you know, we're sitting here talking about archaic concepts doesn't mean that the Rams can or should or will overlook this team. The familiarity between the coaches. Um, I mean, that that is every time Sean McVay has played someone who knows him really, really well, he'll never admit it, but there's an elemental quality of this guy knows everything, you know, that I'm about. I think I know everything that he's about. We go way back. And then now all of a sudden you're seeing those basically the last decade of these guys' lives like manifest and unfold on the field. And it's it's really fascinating to me. And and I'm I'm excited. And in your opinion, I don't know if Mike, I know you guys have maybe talked to him once this week so far. Um, I don't know if Mike said anything about Sean or um any you get any of that sense yet but to me that that's also a dynamic of like you got to play true to your roles at some point you know yeah no so today we had on tuesday mike tomlin holds his weekly press conference and he definitely made a point to compliment sean McVay, and i think that he's a coach that he definitely has a lot of respect for um so yeah that that definitely is going to be intriguing because i, I think Tomlin, in some sense, represents now at this point, maybe one of the older coaches in the league. He's established. He's been with the Steelers for almost two decades at this point. McVay is kind of seen as one of those younger guys, I think, that we imagine someday will be in that conversation as as one. I mean, he already is considered, I think, largely one of the better or best coaches in the league. But I think that as long as he wants to continue doing it, he'll continue to carve out that path and continue to establish himself. So it it really is interesting. I think that if you look back on this matchup 10 years from now, we'll be like, wow, those were two fantastic coaches right. going in this game. Um, you know, I think by, by the time it's all said and done, I think McVay is going to do even bigger things with his career. It's just so fun. Um, I know that Mike is someone who Sean just absolutely, I mean, he, he's quick to compliment a lot of people, but there's a different way he does it with Mike. That is such a layer of, I want to say like reverence almost because not just because of what Mike has accomplished, but also because of who he is, who Sean knows him to be. Um, and I think that Sean always studies other coaches. And I think he really looks at Mike Tomlin as someone who does it the way that every coach hopes to do it in terms of leading the room and, and, and always thinking about, um, the players and putting them in the right positions and, and being so, um, really, um, truly innovative and just elite at what he does on, you know, in, in, within his, his, um, in, within his role, whether or not, you know, whoever the offensive coordinator is, I think that Sean always mentions or thinks about Tomlin in the, in the same breath as like, aspirational stability and aspirational like steadiness with approach consistency is the truest measure of success is what Sean's favorite phrase is. And, and honestly, you can almost see him picturing Mike Tomlin in his brain whenever he, whenever he says he has, that. And he has his own phrases insane. So that's one step to being like Mike Tomlin. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a quick story before yeah. we go. And um, last year was my first year covering the team, but I'm from the area. I covered the Penguins for a number of years for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So I've been in the media market as well. Um, and 
people always talk about Mike Tomlin never having a losing season. And it becomes a bit of a punchline in the media because they're like, well, this is a bit of a celebration of mediocrity. But last season, going in, going through the year with the first for the first time in the locker room, talking to players, I could see how much that meant to them. So they started the year two and six. They went into the bye week just as they are right now. They came out of it to win seven of their final nine games and preserve the non-losing season for Tomlin. And a lot of the players talked about their motivation was they didn't want it. They didn't want to be the team. They didn't want to be the players that were responsible for handing Tomlin his first mm-hmm. losing season. So they had so much respect for him and admiration for him that that they took it on their own shoulders. And that was like a sense of responsibility that, that they couldn't be the team to do it. So um, I think that says something about Mike Tomlin's leadership, that that wasn't him pushing this narrative or, or educating them on the fact that he had never had this losing season. He had the streak. It was them as like, you know, as a sign of respect for their coach that we have to keep this thing going. That's cool. That's, that's true culture right there. And, and, and shared mutual accountability. Um, Mike, you're awesome, dude. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. You guys can find Mike at The Athletic, um, just constantly churning out amazing stuff about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Mike, I especially enjoy the features that you write. And um, so, you know, selfishly, keep those coming. (laughs) Um, And you guys can find him um, on any social media platform um, as we continue to exist in that hellscape. Um, You guys, I hope you're taking care of yourselves. I hope you're taking care of each other. Stay caffeinated. Stay hydrated. We'll catch you next week. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.